What up, what up, Meepsters? This is Ryan Rainbro, and if you're hearing this, that means you're about to listen to one of the 99 free episodes of the Meep Meep podcast available wherever you cast pods. But keep in mind that there are new and unreleased episodes of the show on patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. So you'll want to sign up there to hear future episodes and also other side projects like Choo Choo, the show about soundtracks and contribute suggestions for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. Bye! Meet Meet, the Roadrunner podcast, where we go through the albums of Roadrunner Records, the artists who made them, the positions they influence. Let's roll! What up, what up, Meepsters? I'm Ryan Rainbow, and today it's time to be a color guard for the metal marching band of Sepultura as we fly the flag of Nation. Their final album for Roadrunner Records, released 20 years ago in 2001. This is the second release with current vocalist Derek Green, and it would set the tone for the future of the band as his various unique vocal styles and songwriting methods would more seamlessly meld with Sepultura riffage and rhythms we knew before. We'll speak with Derek about this new world order he helped establish, but first! When Nation was released, I saw Sepultura the day after on tour with Flybanger, Hatebreed, and Poya. Poya are without a doubt one of the most skilled, diverse, and underrated bands on the OzFest second stage era, and their album Union also turns 20 this year. Union. Nation. I'm about to open an embassy. So Poya patriarch Ramon Ortiz was kind enough to take the time to reflect on making Union with producers Mudrock and Garth Richardson, having HR from Bad Brains on the record, the influence of Roadrunner Florida death metal bands on their sound, and of course, touring with Sepultura. I guess what I'm trying to say is... This is the Booyah coming straight to ya! 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 You know, that was a great tour, a great opportunity for us. We enjoyed it very much. You know, it was... Um, I think there was a band before us, but I think there, uh, throughout the tour, I think that band changed. I think at a certain point it was Primer 55, and then it was somebody else. But the bands that started the tour and ended it was Puya, Haybreed, and Sepultura. And that was a blast. We had a great time on that tour. Union, you know, I was looking at it, it looks like... You know, of course, it's coming off of a uh, of fundamental, which you do, I think, as more locally, right? Like in Puerto Rico. Well, we we were out of the island at that point. We had been living in Florida for like about eight years when we recorded uh, fundamental. Um, but the difference uh, between those two albums was that fundamental, the songs that we recorded on that album were songs that we had been playing live for five or more years. And, and Union, we went straight from touring and the support of Fundamental to writing the songs and recording them. We never played them live before recording them. So that's the main difference. Um, the, the songs that we recorded in Union were never played live prior to recording, recording them. 
And it has multiple producers and recording locations. So was it like a tumultuous process to make that record? Uh, it was difficult. Yeah. The, the, the label, the record label, they were wanting the band to go different directions, you know, and they, it was a bit confusing at times with that album. Whereas the first one, Fundamental, um, we had those songs forever and we knew they worked because we played them live for a long time. And, uh, and they, they, they were, um, you know, proven on the stage. With, 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 with Union, it was more of a, of a process with, of a lot of cooks with the, with the spoon in the, in the soup. You know, let's put a little bit of this, let's put a little bit of that, you know. A lot of cooks involved. <laughs> Did you start with Garth and then go on to Mudrock or the other way around? Or did, were it simultaneously you working with both? Garth and uh, we recorded a few songs with him that the record label was looking for a specific type of song and they decided to either hire Mudrock and Mudrock did uh, the second batch of songs and then it, got, it all got put together and became the album. How did uh, the HR collaboration come about on there? Um, H, uh, we were living in Los Angeles at that point um, in California and we met HR through a mutual friend um, called Marco Aldaco and uh, HR used to hang out with Marco and with it too so at a certain point my bass player uh, went there and I, HR was there and we were we were fans of Bad Brains and uh, they talked you know and they hey why don't you do a song with us you know and we had this song called People and he came over to the studio one day and he's like, let's just, just jam, let's see what happens. And he started jamming with the song and they recorded it and that was it. Oh, wow, that's cool. It's very like organic, like, hey, come do it. Very spontaneous, yeah. And you actually write a lot of the lyrics on the album too, right? Some of them, um, the, at that point with the band, uh, the music was mainly written either by me or by the bass player, you know, and... Uh, that, when we first started as a band, it was more of a collaborative effort in terms of maybe I would bring a riff or a couple of riffs and somebody else had a beat and, and we put everything together. But at that point, when that album was being made, it was a matter of pre me or a bass player pretty much bringing the whole song already arranged and this and, and bringing the like a like a sketch, like a recorded sketch of the song and. Everybody learning the part, and and usually whoever wrote the song would all would also come with the lyrics included. And that's oh, so Harold would write some lyrics too if he exactly. wrote the music. Would write the the lyrics and, and all the arrangements for his song, and I would do the same with the ones I wrote. And and we've been operating like that ever since. So with you guys each kind of splitting the the writing duties, you know, a lot of these songs, almost all of them, have other elements brought in afterwards so are you thinking of those ideas too when you first write it or that comes later yeah yeah because in that album um we uh started working with these really amazing percussion players from puerto rico um their names were uh anthony carrillo and angel cachete maldonado cachete maldonado unfortunately passed away two years ago but at that point they were very active and uh they were in a in a, in a rumba band uh, from Puerto Rico called Batacumbele. They were very legendary, uh, very roots, uh, Latin, uh, folkloric music group. And those two percussion players were from that band. And we were very excited at that point in our career to be working with them because they have extensive knowledge of all these traditional rhythms and, and uh, rootsy type of rhythms that we wanted to incorporate 
into the heaviness of what we were doing. And, uh, and yes, when we wrote the parts and we wrote the arrangements, uh, there were specific areas where this is where uh, the percussion players are going to come in and, and do their thing. Or, or, or yeah, we, we, we thought about that in advance because we wanted really that album to feature that, that uh, tribal uh, sound a lot. Did you record that stuff separately in Puerto Rico after you had done the basic tracks, or they came with some, you to those other studios? Some of them, but, but we had them fly uh, early in the sessions. Uh, the, the, um, the first part of the album was recorded in Canada, where uh, Garth Richardson has his studio. I said Brian Adams' studio in it's on the West Coast. And at a certain point, we flew those percussion players out there to record with them there and to do the, do the, the parts with them there. And then there were some other parts that were done in Puerto Rico afterwards. Now, one thing that I've noticed a lot about Union compared to Fundamental is that Fundamental has a ton of horns on it, but Union doesn't really have maybe one or two tracks with horns. Is that yeah. a conscious decision? Yeah, yeah. They, you know, there was uh, different opinions in the band about the horns, about having a horn section. Uh, yeah, I personally thought the horn section was something that was cool for for maybe a song or two, but I never saw it as a as a permanent uh, element uh, on a lot of songs, you know. And uh, for Union, I thought that the sound should be more uh, darker sounding, heavier, and more, more tribal with more drumming instead of horns, you know. Uh, and I think that's the direction that we went with. That's probably why there's not so many horn arrangements as in Fundamental. There's also a lot less, not necessarily guitar leads, but like just like, you know, uh, Fundamental has a ton of solos by you, whereas I think the only one I can even think of, which there might be more, but the song union I know has a solo at the end of it. But Yeah, they, they, that was a, a very particular time in heavy music. You know, the... Because I, I grew up uh, in the 80s learning how to play guitar, you know, and you know that that decade was all about guitar solos, you know, the, the whole shred thing, it was all over the place. And I came from that era. But when the 90s came around, it was a big shift with that whole grunge movement. And, and, and it was more of a, there was still some people playing solos, but shred went out of style uh, during that decade. And the popular um, liking of people that wanted to listen to heavy stuff was more wanting to listen to heavy riffs, riffing, heavy riffing. So I concentrated mostly on that, and I didn't put that much attention on my guitar solos during that decade. You know, I felt like the solos that people wanted to hear at that point were more of an improvised thing, you know, like improvising a solo on the spot, you know, and... And a, a lot more punk attitude, you know, like kind of like what Se Sepultura was doing. Andreas was up a solo with a lot of noise, you know. But that was the 90s, you know. The, as soon as the 2000s kicked in, Shred came back, you know, and I started also embracing all that back. And now it's been 20 years that I've been back at it, you know, doing the Shred again. And, and that stuff is hard, you know. If you want to Shred like the best of them, you have to practice that every day. So. It takes a lot of effort to maintain the, the, the skills, but that's why that's why probably you don't why you don't hear so many guitar solos in Union. You know, I was uh, I focused more on the composition of the songs. 
Yeah, I think that's a really strong aspect of union too. Is that, uh, and I, you know, maybe this is a contentious thing for the label also, but you know, most of the songs are are pretty lengthy because they do have quite a bit of composition involved in them. They're not just uh, three minute. Right, right. The the Puya, I cannot say that Puya is a prog band, but there is a prog element to the band in terms that the band goes into all these middle sections throughout the song and. Uh, really uh, a lot of curves, you know, uh, in the composition, you know. We like to take uh, songs in really, really different areas to then come back and maybe end it in a whole different area again, which is not typical of the of the traditional song structure, you know, of introduction, verse, chorus, verse, middle section, outro, you know, for, for an example. Uh, we don't follow that structure too much, you know. Or in that sense, the band still has some strong progressive spirit yeah a song like you know like no interference is like a full-blown epic to me but it's uh it's never like boring either it's very heavy throughout the whole song and right and also puya has something that is very very part of the fabric of the band um it's the idea of jamming jam band that's not very typical of Metal bands, you know, I don't, I, uh, uh, you know, metal bands rarely jam. You know, metal bands usually, but uh, they're gonna do set and they go through uh, through it. But Puya has that. Uh, the band likes uh, feels good for the nature of the band to go into these long sections that are just just jamming. You know, just improvising. And uh, and we've always done it live. People people that like the band that go to the shows appreciate it so we always kept it and it, no interference has that you know it has this whole a lot of those songs in that album have these long sections of just jamming you know improvising yeah and it feels like very organic and things like that too it never feels like it's a forced you know section of okay this is the jam part it just kind of feels like it's you i know you mentioned the the prog aspect and i know that uh you know when we think of prog we think of like rush or whatever but i don't think that's an unfair way to to apply it the thing is that, you know, with, with genres and titles for genres, uh, they start a certain way, but then after time passes, the, the, those titles start getting associated with a certain group of bands, with a certain sound. Now you say prog metal, you immediately think of Dream Theater, you know, because that's the most prominent band that's playing that style. It has some, they have kind of become the flagship of, that, of prog metal. But I, I see the term prog as something way broader, you know. Uh, to me, prog uh, represents the spirit of experimenting within a song, re- really going different places that are might not be what's expected from a song. To me, in my world, that's what prog is. But I know that, that now these days, you know, it's, it's a much more specific sound when it comes to metal and rock, you know, that people expect. You know, I know there wasn't really like a necessarily a full blown like radio single for the album, but there is a, a video for Pami Pati. Um, but was Matter of Time ever considered for like a single? It seems like a very like radio friendly song. The whole single thing was weird, you know, with the record label. You know, I gotta tell you, they, 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 it was a very hard time because it's like they were pushing so hard for a radio single, radio single, radio single, radio single. And it's difficult for Puya to write a radio single, you know? We don't think like that, you know? We don't write like that, we don't think like that. And the term radio single is such an elusive, an elusive uh, concept because it's like, 
what's going to be a radio single? Usually the record label think, oh, well, it's going to be something that's similar to whatever are being radio singles at this moment, <laughs> you know? And that changes so quickly, you know? So uh, I don't think we ever uh, agreed with the label on a, on a, on a single for that, uh, for that album, you know? Whereas uh, Fundamental, Oasis, that was the first song on that, on that uh, album, everybody agreed that that was a single. And I don't think that song has any single aspect to it. It's very experimental. You know, it shifts from really heavy groove, power groove, to full-on Caribbean Latin stuff, to a hardcore power in the middle. You know, it's all over the place. But it had this catch, and it had this power with the audience, with our audience. It had momentum. And I, th I think the, the label saw that, and that they were like, okay, that's going to be the same. You know, and, but since we didn't have the chance to play the songs from Union out in the field before recording them, then it was more of, you know, the, the, the record label, or else we couldn't use the reaction of the people to gauge which one are the ones that the people are going to like the best, you know? So I, I think that's probably had to do to uh, the, probably the reason why there was not a, a consensus. Okay, this this is going to be the same. You know, it was kind of left in the open. You know. Well, that makes sense because Oasis, you would have had, you would have been able to test it with audiences. You saw their reaction to it to be Correct. like, oh, okay, and this is the song well, people. It was one of those songs that it was a crowd pleaser. You know, from the very beginning we played it, the crowd erupted. erupted you know. Uh, because it was so different and so so energetic, just people reacted to it immediately, and uh, the record label saw that, you know, and that's probably one of, probably one of the reasons why we got signed in the first place. You know? Well, what I reacted to immediately because I love when any band says their own name in a song was the opening of Ride with the Puya okay. coming to you. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be like the most memorable that, that I feel like that's like your your theme song or something. I don't know if you feel the same way, but, yeah. you know, just having that as the opening line. Yeah, that, that's almost cool. You know, I wrote that one. That's probably one that, the first one that I wrote for the for the Union album. And uh, it has excitement, you know, like uh, the, I always felt like the best music comes out of excitement, being excited about something, you know, like being pumped up and. I felt pumped up about, about what we were doing at that point, you know, and, and inspiration strikes like that, you know, and I got the riff, you know, and I thought the riff was pretty cool. And then I, I got the idea from their lyrics and it worked, you know, and the singer uh, ran with the idea and did it, you know, and became a classic. Now that song also has the lyric, don't fuck with nature. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys have any sort of like environmental or stances at the time? No, 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 nobody in the band has ever been like straight edge philosophy. You know, we all drink and eat whatever we want. But, uh, but, but, yeah, you know, we come. Puerto Rico is a very natural environment in terms that it's an island, and uh, the nature is so strong. You know, here like the coast, mountains. You know, and it's it's a very uh, nature rich place, and and. We all love that. We come from that, you know, and uh, we always felt that uh, we needed to raise conscience, you know, with our lyrics about protecting it, you know, because the modern world, you know, uh, uh, corporations, you know, they're so eager, you know, to 
disregard any of it for profits, you know. So it was a little a little message there. Uh, I just felt it was cool to include the lyrics, you know. No, I mean, I love that lyric. I just That's always what I kind of uh, identify with it, even if you guys didn't mean it that way. I, I kind of found strength in that, so I thought that was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I personally always find a, find a lot of inspiration in nature to compose music. You know, it's probably my main, my main source, you know. Well, I know you said you guys aren't straight edge or anything like that, but do you have any connections to like the hardcore community? I always kind of got that vibe from you, but it might have been me yeah, projecting. You know, when 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 the hardcore movement became really popular in the nineties, you know, bands like Hatebreed start coming up, that crossover metal hardcore movement. We liked it a lot, you know, and uh, and uh, we played with uh, those types of bands a lot. We played with Madball, with with Hatebreed, with Biohazard. We played with a lot of them, and especially with Haybreed, we created a really nice bond with those guys. You know, they, back in the day, they were always really nice with us. Uh, ja- Jamie and, and the other guys, you know, they invited us. You know, the first really was when we first got signed with Universal and we were about to release Fundamental, we were trying to get on some good tours, you know, and it was hard, you know. Uh, it was hard to get on them, you know. It's like we were getting on some tour that, eh, well, finally, we got on a on a short run, a two week run with Haybreed, and I don't know if you remember this band from New York. They were called Candiria. Remember that band? God, I love Candiria. Yeah. You want to talk about progressive? They it's, are that dude. When we got on that tour, we it, it was Puya, Candiria, and Haybreed. It was a two week run, sold out, packed shows everywhere, small clubs around the New York, Boston, Jersey, all that area. When I went to that tour, I, I and I saw the other bands. I saw I I had heard about Hatebreed, but I had never seen them. I'm talking about like '97, you know, '98, and uh, I saw Candiria. I was like, finally, we have entered the league. You know, this is the freaking league with these guys. This is this is where we. This is the right place to be. You know, this is finally the right tour to be on. And uh, uh, it felt great, you know, and really very inspiring watching Candiria and Hatebreed at that point. They were so full of energy and so great, so amazing. They sounded so great every night. And they had such a strong uh, connection with the crowd. And the, the hardcore movement was very strong, the whole moshing thing, you know. It was stage diving. That, that was the heyday of that, you know. And everybody embraced us, right? Right there, you know, everybody, uh, the, the other bands and the crowds were really digging what we were bringing to the table of, uh, in that world, you know, in that, that heavy crossover hardcore world, you know, because we were br- we were bringing something proggy, you know, uh, compared to the other bands. Candiria was doing it too in their own way, coming from New York, but we were bringing the Caribbean uh, drum uh, influence into our stuff. Yeah. Well, being a band that definitely has that, you know, Latin influence, not just Latin influence here, Latin people, you know, was Sepultura a band that you also looked up to when you were younger? Huge, huge, huge. Um, Sepultura to me is the most successful band from South America in terms of the one that was able to do the most uh, impact globally. Uh, with their with what they were doing, you know, and their evolution is very fascinating. Still to this day, I still listen to those albums. You know, the 
emerging as a, as a death metal act from Brazil and little by little uh, evolving to turn into power group thing that was chaos AD, chaos AD and, uh, and then and then roots you know uh, that was very impressive how they did it you know and, and they were their, their rhythms their sound their attitude was just great you know very very inspiring I I learned about them when they were on the arise tour but I had I had heard about them way before people were talking about them on the underground, on the heavy metal underground. People were talking about this band from Brazil called Sepultura. And I think I, I have heard it before, but I just thought they were just another death metal band. Uh, well, but then I saw uh, something they put out. It was called Life in Barcelona. It was a VHS uh, of a live show in Spain during the Rise Tour. And a friend of mine played it for me. I was like, Jesus Christ. Uh, I thought they were the most impressive death metal band I have ever seen, seen at that point, you know, because they had the, all that, that speed and ultra-aggressive in their music, but they were very ex experimental with the riffs, and the riffs had this swing to it that was not just a typical death metal band. There was something else about it, and that's what caught me onto them. And then Chaos AD came out, and I was like, what? These guys are going to start mixing freaking folkloric rhythms from Brazil now into the, into the, and that's when they went to a whole other level because that, that concept of incorporating uh, ethnic rhythms of other cultures into metal was relatively new at that point. You know, I don't think that if there was somebody else doing it at that point, you know, they did not have the, the visibility of Sepultura because Sepultura came out with KSAD. That was huge, you know, a huge impact. And uh, it was a, a confirming thing that we were on the right path because we were already experimenting with that stuff. Uh, but when they came out with uh, with, with KSAD, we were like, okay, this is, this is really, this idea is really gaining momentum. This is really, really getting some traction now because the tourists doing it. And then uh, there was all these bands at that point coming out that were playing power groove and the rhythms that they were playing were very, very innovative. You know, Pantera was they were they were <coughs> they they were also doing rhythms that I thought they were pretty fresh uh, for heavy metal, different, you know. Then Machine Head came out with that first album. Burn My Eyes, and Meshuga came out with that EP, None, their first EP, and I was like, this metal is really shifting, you know, right now. It's it's becoming uh, more ryth rhythmically rich, not as square as the traditional metal that we knew from last decade, the Iron Maidens and the, and the Judas Priests, you know, which was a little bit more on the beat. No, no, yeah, now you have all these other bands playing more of the upbeats, you know, and becoming more of a groove type thing. And it was a great time, you know, they, they, but we really admired them, you know, Sepultura uh, for being the bearers of the torch, of that torch, representing South America successfully in the heavy metal world, you know. Yeah, so I mean, even being a guitar player too and touring with Sepultura and being with Andreas, was that like a, a big moment for you? Did you feel yeah, like you I, lot, learned a lot from him? It was great, you know. They, 
I have a lot of cool memories from that tour. You know, they were all all very nice. It was always very impressive to see them perform. Andreas is a legend, you know, and uh, they always did a like a drum drum uh, section of their show, but they will always bring uh, these drums up to the front, you know, and they had the four of them will start on on this beat like tuku tuku tum tuku tuku tum tuku tuku tum. And then they would have these other drums in the back that would answer to that. And they formed like this huge drum circle. And they, they were telling us, you guys should come out and join us, you know, for the drum thing, you know. And we did it one time and it was very nice. The crowd loved it. So then we started doing it every night. And, uh, and we had a lot of fun. And sometimes I'm not a drummer. You know, I have a lot, a lot. Of, I get a lot of good ideas for drum arrangement, but I'm not physically a drummer. Uh, but I can play the widow. It's that little scratchy guy that you play with the comb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. So I would come out with that little guy, you know, and, and just join the drum circle with the widow. And it was a funny moment, you know. The percussion player for Puya at that point, his name was Oscar Santiago. He played with El Nino also. Uh, he would come out, and he's a full-on drummer. So they would put a set of timbales for him to do a big a solo during the drum circle. He was really good at that. And I was right next to him, just keeping the rhythm with the scratchy guy, right? And, and Oscar is doing this, this really fast feel on the on the timbali, like he's going off, you know. And I'm watching him, damn, you know. And and then uh, I had a couple of drinks on me, you know. And, and the the comb from the scratchy guy just flew off my hand, and I'm, I was shit, you know. And the thing like did a couple, uh, and I saw that thing in slow motion. It was gonna land right in the place of the drummer. He was doing the, the fast feel. And, uh, and I tried to grab it super quick. Like, and he landed like five sticks on my hand. You know, like, I put the hand there for a second to grab the thing. Like, damn it. <laughs> they grab it. Like, like, pointing out, oh, shit. <laughs> like a spinning blade or something that you put your hand in front of or something? That was called the, the comb landed right on his drum and he was doing that feel. So I went to grab it real quick. But it, I, I got in the line of fire for, for half a second there, and he landed like five sticks on my hand, like, and, and he had his eyes closed, so he, he was so inspired, like, he didn't even see, but he felt like something different, and like, oh, you know, dude, you're almost kidding me. <laughs> but it was funny. We had a great time. It was time. very funny. You know, the album's called Union. The song yeah. Union is on there. An older song also. Um, is there something about that song or that message that you really wanted to make sure you got to get out with the second record and to bring that song back from that original yeah, demo? You know, the, 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 the message for Puya, you know, always has been unity, you know. And I think the music represents that, you know, fusioning different genres of music together to make a cohesive, cohesive uh, whole, you know. Uh, when we grew up here in the beginning, you know, in the island, uh, there was a big division, you know, among people, people that listen to rock, like rock or metal, and people who listen to the main genre, that local genre that was happening at that point in time here, it was salsa uh, and rumba, you know. There was a lot of friction between those two crowds, you know. They, they didn't like each other. The people from the island that listen to salsa, they would say that rock and metal, that's not from here, that's outsider's music, and it doesn't belong here. And uh, it was a, a very, very, very a lot of friction. 
And with our band, our vision was like, you know, it's okay. You know, uh, there doesn't have to be friction. We can coexist. Uh, and and that, that was our vision with the music, you know, joining what we like about uh, folkloric Puerto Rican music and what we like about rock and metal and make make it a, make it a cohesive whole that's fun. You know, that's fun and, and full of energy and, and power, you know. And, and I think we proved that point long time ago, you know, because... After Puya, those those frictions disappeared a lot. You know, uh, the 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 salsa crowd started becoming more accepting of rock and roll and metal. You know, and vice versa. You know, and 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 I think Union, the song Union, that song has that message. You know, of unity. You know, and and, and uh, finding a way to coexist and make things work. You know, uh, so I, we thought it it was. Nice to call the album like that to bring that message to the people. When Puya uh, finally got into the, in the to a spotlight, when people started noticing the band on a bigger scale, we have been we have been paying our dues in Florida for oof, eight years at that point, playing playing little clubs anywhere. You know, when we, moving to Florida was good for us. You know, because we came out of Puerto Rico in '92, and at that point. We were a completely different band, you know. They, uh, we weren't even called Puya. We were called Whisker Biscuit, <laughs> and, and and it wasn't heavy or metal, you know. We were doing this crazy fusion. It was rock. We had some hard rock elements to it, but we were mixing reggae and jazz, and funk, you know, and Caribbean music all together, and people loved that stuff here. And it was instrumental. We didn't have a singer. But it was really wacky, kind of like Mr. Bongo, like Mike Patton's Mr. Bongo, but more, yeah, Car- yeah. But more Caribbean, you know. But when we moved to Florida, that was the capital of death metal. All of a sudden, we looked to our left, death metal bands. We looked to our right, death metal bands. And we're like, dude, we got to get heavy. <laughs> Otherwise, we're not going <laughs> to fit anywhere here. So that's when we start becoming heavier and playing heavier riffs and putting in more hardcore the, the hardcore thrash riffs into the mix. So it was good for us, you know, because it made us go into a heavier, heavier direction, but at the same time, exploiting more our cultural heritage from Puerto Rico, the traditional rhythms, and creating that fusion on both worlds that when we came out to play, people would be like, what? Like, what the hell? But this is, this is fun. People could jump to it, sing to it, you know, it was catchy, you know? We made it fun for the people, and we also made it a point also to make the shows visually fun to put a lot of energy out there, you know, not those up there playing shoegazing, you know, but make it a, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, make it like a really aggressive metal show, you know. So I think that helped build the reputation of the band as a really, really strong live act, and that's what eventually led to all the other things that happened, you know, getting signed and going to LA and working with Bob Esrin, you know, and, and big producers and getting on the big shows, you know, uh, all those elements together. Thanks so much to Ramon, a true guitar hero. New Poya album coming in 2022 with that classic lineup you know and love. Onward to Nation. 
This is one of the more unique records in Sepultura's catalog, and in retrospect, ahead of its time. From the guest features to the artwork by Charleston, South Carolina's own Shepard Ferry, it really stands apart visually and sonically. Frontman Derek Green reflects on what this album was then and what it means today. So did you feel like you were more part of the band with this? Did you feel like you kind of experiment more vocally than... uh and you were able to with against? Yeah, I, I definitely believe I was getting there. I was on my path to becoming more comfortable in the band. Um, but it was the first time, like you were saying, to be a part of the writing process from the very beginning. So this was something that I was really looking forward to and very excited about. Um, since we had never written together, done anything really, uh, except for against where a lot of things were written before I joined the band. Um, this is something very new to us. So we had to really try out a lot of different things. You know, it was the best way to get some type of idea of where we could go and what we were all capable of. And it was in the moment that we were very open to try different things. So we really wanted to try to approach this album in a way where majority of the lyrics would be positive. You know, like not really um, getting down on anything or being super negative about it, but just really kind of building a utopia idea of what we felt would be a great nation, you know, without any borders or religion or uh, just like race discrimination and things like that. You know, it was like a, an idea of just really creating all this on space off of that. Do you see it as kind of like a concept album in that way then? Yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. um, it was, it made it easier to really focus in on what we were going to do. I mean, we could have gone all over the place, but it, um, starting from there is, is really how we grew. You know, we started doing more albums that way and becoming comfortable that way. But I think we really tried out a lot of different approaches on Nation, which made it so much fun. We took a lot of time in the production and um, we learned a lot, you know, like, and so I learned a lot, especially getting used to being with those guys in the studio from the beginning to the end, um, the whole process that we were discovering together. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I feel like Against is almost like its own thing, you know, it's like in between the two, and I love Against, so I, I know that that's mm -hmm. maybe uh, uncommon, I, even for you guys, you guys don't play a lot <laughs> off of it, you know what I mean? But um, it's kind of like, you know, everything up to roots and then against is on its own and then nation seems like it's more like you know kind of what moves forward but there are things that are kind of hinted at on against that i think right. you get to kind of uh no, build definitely. on no you're, you're absolutely right i think when i did come into against it wasn't that everything was written we were still creating things in the studio as we went along but there were various studios um a lot of like moving about um, so it was very hectic and chaotic, and we weren't really sure where we were going. But there was a lot of things that I still had to add to that album. Um, and you can definitely hear those hints in Nation. But now I, I have to say that at that time, it was very difficult to play a lot of those songs from that album. A lot of people were really trying to get used to the idea of a new singer. Um, other people just didn't want to. And so, again, we were still 
getting to know each other, I think. And we realized after touring and playing many tours, doing many albums, that it's best to really play those songs, you know, when you do have a new album, you know? And so this is what we've been doing for the past uh, two to three albums is playing songs that we have recorded and go out on tour on and, and not be afraid to play those songs. And I think people really appreciate that more. And that's what we learned, especially from that time. You know, it's like really difficult. You know, we're, we were unsure of like, oh, maybe we should play less. And then we started getting requests from a lot of fans who were saying, hey, you guys should do some of the older songs I really like again. Now, you know, having time to sit on it, I think, and listen to it again. It was like, oh, wow, it really brings back some pretty incredible memories. And, I, and so it's great to play those songs live now. It, it, you can feel the reaction, the difference, you know, from then and now. It doesn't have the same stigma that maybe you had back then, right? Because back then it's like, Correct. oh, this isn't the Sepultura that I yeah. liked. But now it's like it's the Sepultura of the past 20 years. So we get it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because even for me, when I first heard Against compared to Nation, Against took me a while to like get into. Because yeah. kind of to the point you made, Against is pissed. Like Nation is <laughs> a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more uh, hopeful. Yeah. But Against is like very angry about everything. Yeah. So, totally. um, but when Nation first came out, I immediately attached to it. And um, I think a big part of that was that there was a little bit more of the Sepultura sound that I was used to while adding new things that I wasn't. The cover art is done by Shepard Ferry, and I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. So I was like, yo, that guy's from down the street. I cleaned his mom's house once. So I was like <laughs> about that. I felt like I was a part of the album. So I uh, I definitely and I remember interviews with you around this time, too. You would you were right. like, you know, we're going to have our own flags and our own national anthem, yeah. you were like all about the theme of the nation thing. And totally. um, so I think that that's it's really cool to look back on it at that time. Cause like you said, I'm sure at the time it was, it was uh, probably a lot of pressure for you personally, because you're still kind oh, of getting yeah. into the groove. And I'll tell you, what, you know, another reason why is because of the record label, the label never really, you know, there was a half of the label that weren't really believing in me and they weren't happy with the choice that they'd made to have me in the band. Um, and they made that very, uh, I was aware of that. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and so I, I, and I, again, I was angry about that. I was like, why are we still with this stupid label that aren't believing in us? And we have such great ideas. You know, we really want to grow. Um, we have the ability to do that. We brought in, you know, this great artist, Shepard Fair, and they're like, yeah, you know, they weren't even that thrilled about it. Oh, wow. You know, I mean, but Shepard wasn't that huge at the time, but in our minds, you know, uh, actually Igor was the one that thought of the idea. And in our mind, you know, in the underground world, he was huge. You know, he, it was like, wow, this is going to be amazing. It's going to draw so much attention, you know, to this album. Uh, we have so many crazy ideas that we're going to run through. And uh, we're super hopeful, you know. But with the label that's not 100% there, it was difficult and we we're just waiting to get off. You know, that was the last album we did with uh, Roadrunner. Yeah, that's a good point to make, though. As much as Shepard Ferry was a big deal in the underground, you know, it wasn't really until that Hope poster in like 08 yeah. that he like became like this internationally exactly. known phenomenon. So you kind of got on the ground floor with them. It'd probably be a different Absolutely. price for him these days. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I, I, no doubt about that. But again, the, the record labels had a lot of money then. Sure. You know, it still was at that time when they're like, okay, let's, you, we made a lot of money from creating CDs or having CDs and 
and you know the labels they were pretty strong but um and we also had some really great people that were on the album so you know we had Jello Biafra you know it was great to have him be a part of it and it was we had um Apocalyptica you know uh it, you know it was just like really I was like oh man we got a lot of really cool things not the things that people would expect Sure, sure. And Jamie from Hatebreed's on here, which is, yes. of course, cool. But even then, it's you got to put it in perspective for people that this is before Perseverance. So they're also right, the exactly. worldwide juggernaut that they became. Yeah, so. and that came naturally, too, because it was a band that they were kind of like stuck with problems with their label. And they weren't really touring that much. And then we're like, let's bring them out on tour in the U.S. And then it was it went really well with them. And then we're like, let's go to Europe. And everyone was saying, like, they've never been to Europe. They're not flying. <laughs> it was something with like, and so I was like, okay, you got. I mean, it ended up working out, and they did come on tour, and it was great. It was their first time in Europe, and then not long after that, they really blew up. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, the U.S. tour that I saw for Nation was Hatebreed, uh, Poya, and Flybanger. Oh, yeah. oh my god, that's right. You got a favorite wow. Flybanger song, Derek? <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you this though, I was psyched about Poya at the time. Poya was like everything to me. Man, they were badass. I mean, I really, really thought, you know, I was like, man, this is really gonna go somewhere. Really, you know, I I thought they were super original and I just there was something about them. They had a really cool vibe. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the label's not really behind you at the time, but the A&R for this record versus against is Mike Gitter, who personally kind of yeah, brought you to the band, yeah. right? So he must have been encouraging absolutely. at the time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Mike has always been uh, believing, you know, in this formation or the form- of actually having me a part of the band. And, um, and, he, and and I know Mike for a really long time, but I know that He's, he really is a person that goes to shows. He's very knowledgeable about music. He loves music. He's passionate about it. And he's been in the game for such a long, long, long time. So, um, you know, having him behind me really changed everything, you know, in, in so many ways, you know, especially joining the band. Um, but with Nation, yeah, I mean, he was 100% like, yeah, let's get... Um, there's a Dr. Israel to do a song also in Brooklyn, you know, really just going out there. We're just like, let's just try this stuff, you know? Um, and I thought it was cool because it was different from any other Sepultura album. And this, and it was following kind of in the line of Sepultura. What I really love about Sepultura is the fact that every album is different, you know, from a rise to chaos CD to roots to beneath the remains, schizophrenia, all entirely different you know, and I, and I love that change. And I felt that we were kind of following in those footsteps, like this, you know, album artwork, everything, you know, musically, the hundred percent different. You also work with uh, Steve Evitz on this album as a producer. How did that collaboration happen? That was great because we knew Steve had worked with Hatebreed actually. And he had done a lot of different uh, underground hardcore type bands and we were big fans of that especially Igor and I we love uh, like Snapcase and these other like hardcore type bands and um and we admired his sound and we felt that he could really bring something new to the band and um he definitely did he was open with a lot of different ideas and it was great I mean we even did like a Bauhaus cover I remember and, yeah right. and so <laughs> I mean we're really going out there but Steve was really open with ideas and very 
And he was very knowledgeable about what he's doing. He has very good work ethics as well. So he really pushed us and we ended up using him again for uh, another album or EP doing uh, different cover songs. We really, uh, Revolution Songs was the name of that. And so Steve uh, was fantastic for that, you know. The song <laughs> Simple Nation you guys played on the Tattoo the Earth tour before the album ever came out. Oh, so wow, that's right. Was that the first song you guys wrote for this album? Probably was. And, and I think, I don't even think I wrote the, I, I think Igor wrote the lyrics. It was like one, the only song that I think Igor was like, I think I have some lyrics for this. Like he wanted to write lyrics. Because we definitely would like get, I would get some of their lyrics, like Andreas especially, and then I would go over them and there's certain things I would change around. Like, hey, you need to put this here just because English-wise this is going to work better oh, sure. and stuff like that. So it's always like a mixed collaboration type thing. But that was like the first time, like, oh, check this out. And he wrote like a majority of that. So it was cool, you know. Well, One Man Army, I thought was interesting just because I do know that, like you said, everybody's kind of contributing to the lyrics. So that one is mm -hmm. one of the first songs that you're like doing a lot of like actual singing on. So right, right. is that an idea that they came to you with the lyrics like, oh, I think you should sing it like this? Or you read it and you were like, oh, what if I mm. tried this way? It was pretty much they didn't say that. It was pretty much I'm going to try it this way. After hearing the song, I was like, OK, I'm going to try to sing it. And uh, and then I guess the lyrics came after Okay. Because I was kind of just like making up things, like humming what it would sound like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the idea was like, what? one of the main reasons why they picked me to sing in the band is the fact that of, of my demo. I wasn't trying to sound like uh, Max. I, I was trying, I was just being myself. And there was some melodical stuff that I had done with my old band, and I sent them that demo. So they really were looking for someone that was entirely different. And they liked the fact that on my audition tape that I did melodical type stuff and it wasn't only screaming. And so they were like, wow, we can really evolve. We could try different things in the future. And so they were thinking, you know, we need somebody with a kind of a dynamic voice. And so that, and so that was one of the, one thing that we really wanted to try out on Nation was like, okay, you can sing, we can try some stuff with some melodies, you know, some really different approach, you know. Right, right. Yeah, because on uh, yeah. Against, there's like little hints of that, like on Rumors, you have a little bit of singing, right, but right. it's nothing like on this where you're like doing full songs of singing. And I think that is an important thing to bring up about the strength of Nation and, of course, mm -hmm. albums that come after it. But you do do a lot of cool, different things. It's not just screaming. You do like a spoken word right. thing. Um, you do the the singing. I'm saying spoken word thing, but you know what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm yeah, yeah. No, I, totally, I totally get it. <laughs> uh, some like kind of cool cadences that border on not like rap rock, but like a kind of a more hip hop element with the tribal mm -hmm. drums in the background. So I think that that's a big strength of Nation, especially retrospectively going back and being like, oh, they were doing all this cool stuff that probably right. fell on deaf ears maybe at the time for someone that wasn't willing to accept it. And I think it's a uh, very, very, very true. I mean, it's now hearing a lot more you know many people that come out and they're like oh, i like this song is like wow you know like I, I i never heard that before when at the time while we're playing those songs you know i definitely hear a lot more now and it, it's great it's so much fun to do those songs again you know it's like really great to do those songs live so you uh mentioned dr israel being on tribe to a nation did you actually go to mm -hmm. brooklyn to work with him in his studio 
Yeah, absolutely. So that was really easy to, to work with them. You know, we clicked right away. Um, we went to a studio in Brooklyn and hung out and recorded some really cool ideas there. And I remember we played a show in New York and he came out and did this song with us. And it was really cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because I was thinking about that actually earlier, too, that on that tour I saw you do with Hatebreed, Jamie didn't come out and do, you guys didn't do uh, the song with him. <laughs> I think we did in some other shows, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Jello Biafra's on Politrix, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of a unique uh, pairing. His his vocal almost is like jarring the way, you know, because I know he sounds like him. But it's like yeah. over a Sepultura song, and it just almost uh, it almost doesn't work. And then you come in, and it kind of all makes sense. But throughout it, you know, the lyrics are kind of about talking about uh, human as livestock. And really, this is just an excuse for me to ask you about veganism because I've been vegan for mm-hmm. 20 years. I know that you're wow, you're nice. on the team. And uh, yes. when did that start for you? <laughs> At a very young age, I I really started to question a lot of that uh, of what's going in my body and how it's having that effect on the planet and animals and just really being thoughtful about it. So it started like 14, 15, where I stopped eating meat. Um, it really kicked off from going to a hardcore show. Um, it was a Cro-Mag show and there was a lot of books and literature about veganism or vegetarianism in general. And so it, it drew me in. I was really into books. I still am. Um, at the same time, I had a lot of friends that were playing in bands that were from New York and there were vegetarians or vegans working in health food stores. Um, at the same time, I was reading in school, The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. And it was like all these different like things coming at me, um, just kind of saying like, you should try this, you know, if it's what it, you know, what everyone is saying that it is, you should really give this a shot and try this out. And, and I, I did that at like 15, stopped eating meat. And um, and then I just started to learn more about it, you know, just about the whole lifestyle of a plant-based lifestyle, about not wearing leather and things like that. You know, those things slowly started to happen. Where I was like, ah, I'm not wearing that anymore. I'm not using this anymore. And just uh, learning more about it, you know, just watching it grow um, was something that was really impressive, faster than I possibly could have imagined. Um, especially moving to Brazil and noticing how it had such an impact there. The whole plant-based movement just radically changed Brazil quickly. You know, I mean, that's a big meat-eating country if a lot of people don't know that. But it's like that was like a number one thing from Brazil. And that's, it's changed the mind of a lot of people, at least where they're not maybe vegans, but they're definitely eating that style of food, you know, and putting that into their daily routine which never would have happened before so it's it's really great to see the the changes and the evolution of the entire scene and uh i've always believed in it from the very beginning and i love to see the the growth and that it's had yeah it's crazy i mean i know that you know better than me just how different it is in the past like 10 15 years because even when you know in like oh one when i if i wanted to eat i couldn't go to walmart and get soy milk you know much less a beyond burger or whatever so it's But uh, you were always someone that I was able to point to because not only were you vegetarian, well, I didn't know that you were vegan at the time and you were vegetarian, but you were also like Mm -hmm. in good shape. So it wasn't like 
you were protein uh, deficient, you know, I could say, hey, yeah, no, I mean, that was something that I really admired uh, the fact that when I saw ProMag and, you know, it just looked like an incredible shape. And a lot of my friends who were vegans or vegetarians are in fantastic shape. But I mean, again, we were very young, but they're in better shape than most people. And I just knew from the, the start that I, I, it wouldn't be a problem. I did sports in school also. Uh, and I was a vegetarian in high school. So wrestling and doing whatever football, it, it wasn't a problem. You know, I was only getting bigger. You know, I <laughs> think that was just genetically. But um, a lot of it, you know, as the years went on and going to like a, a class reunion, I noticed that, you know, I made a, a pretty damn good choice. Um, <laughs> looking at, you know, a lot of the people from back in the day, you know, it has a big impact, your lifestyle. I've been working on this and that's been great in the downtime that I've had, uh, really trying to shop this show called Highway to Health. And uh, it's a show with Tanya O'Callaghan, who's my co-host. She's from Ireland. She plays bass with uh, Stephen Adler, from former drummer from Guns N' Roses. And uh, she's done a lot of touring with other different bands and different people. And she's amazing. Um, but she's also an advocate for animal rights and also uh, a vegan for her entire life. And um, it's been great. You know, we were able to film a lot of different episodes in different places around the world, talking with different, uh, a variety of people who are involved in the plant-based world or the actual change of sustainability and wanting to see that change happen. Not everyone on the show are, are vegans and that's not the whole point of the show. It's really to pull people in to understand that whole lifestyle and to really give them those options, you know, and, and do it in a fun way. And so we're able to go everywhere from Brazil, Ireland, Cleveland, so people have an understanding of our own background and where we're coming from. Uh, we did a lot of shooting in LA and have uh, some various celebrities that are there from Kat Von D to uh, Michael Moore. No, no, I'm sorry, Michael Moore. Kevin Smith. Michael Moore, you can. You're more than welcome to be on. Um, Kevin Smith. We do different things with them from going to Farm Sanctuary with Kat Von D, uh, chilling at Moby's house, uh, eating at a place called Crossroads with uh, Kevin Smith. And he talks about a story what turned him into a vegan. Um, it, it's, it's really a lot of fun, man. I mean, we, we, we've done a, a lot of interviews with different people from all walks of life. And we want to keep in that that vibe, you know, on the next episode or the next season that we're going to record. But we still need to sell this first season. So we have all the material, everything that we've shot. Um, and it's just we're trying to sell it to a network. So I just wanted to put that out there. It's, it's a whole different world, the whole TV world. But we're learning. Yeah, we're, we're going pretty deep. I mean, we're showing a lot of the back the scenes, you know, uh, that people don't really get to see as far as like even touring, we're going to have a lot of that stuff because people always ask like, what are you eating on tour? How do you stay healthy on tour? How do you get that protein on tour? <laughs> I mean, we, I mean, there's some diversity we have in the shows where we're lucky to do that because of the jobs that we have. So we're able to go, for example, on the Kiss Cruise in the Caribbean with Tanya because she was playing with Steven Adler and Kiss asked their guests who they want to come on the boat with them and who they want to see on the boat. I didn't realize anything about this. And we went there and were able to cover 
Tanya playing and get a lot of great interviews. And that, you know, that was because of Tanya playing in this band, you know, we're able to get there and have that type of access. Um, we're able to do, um, like go on a mission with Steve Shepard in Mexico and we're able to talk with them. And I just, you know, do a lot of interviews with people from all around the world. It was like, holy shit, you know, we, this is great material. A lot of people always question me, like, what's Sea Shepherd? What do they do? Like, you know, you get to see where your donations go, you know, when you buy a t-shirt, what, you know, how it's going to work. And it's, it's incredible. These people are like really heroes for the ocean, you know, giving up their lives um, for a big amount, you know, a big part of the year. Um, giving up their home and where they live and their loved ones to go out and work 24 hours a day on preserving the oceans and the wildlife. So, I mean, there's some crazy people we have on it. You know, diversity, I was saying, the CEO of Ford Motors from uh, of all of South America, um, he's Irish, just happened to meet him at like a Thanksgiving party in Brazil. And, and then I was like, hey, would you like to do this? interview you know my co-host is from ireland he's like absolutely you know that was a bad irish accent but he's like i i definitely like to do it i, I feel like you br- just breezed over going on the kiss cruise a little too easily uh did you <laughs> did you did you get to meet kiss yeah i mean actually kind of got to meet uh paul stanley because he was watching a lot of the shows you know off to the side i was like oh and i me, I'm I'm really bad at like wanting to meet people. I'm just too shy, so I never go up to anyone. But he was definitely watching a lot of the bands, and and so she got to meet him. And um, it would have been great to be able to interview them, but that was something that was like, no, sure, can be up to me. So we had to respect that. Are you a Kiss fan? I feel like you're not the way you're. Yes. Oh, you are. No, no, no. Okay. I, I, I am. I am. I was just like, you know, I, as a fan, you just like. I want the best, you know, like I want to be able to, you know, have that interview, but I was able to interview them in Brazil um, for MTV. Oh, wow. Um, But then completely brought down in spirits once they told me, like, I had a million questions I went over the night before, just like, okay, I have this question I've been wanting to ask, you know, since I was 13 and a list of just like amazing questions. And I got there and they're like, no serious questions. And you have like two minutes go and i was like fuck me you know like, they were definitely like just wanted to make it simple like how are the girls in brazil you know like, <laughs> <laughs> questions like that it's like they're rocking ow ah you know rock and roll I was like, fuck fuck yeah. so that was um, it well you mentioned you know being in the hardcore scene and, and stuff like that i know that you are in a hardcore band in new york which is kind of the that's the demo that you sent to sepultura Mm-hmm. But you were in, you were from Ohio? Right. I, I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, and then I moved to New York um, after a little while after high school. Were you ever in Integrity? Um, at the very beginning, yeah. It was like uh, no members of the band could play any instruments. <laughs> and it was kind of the idea that Dwid uh, came up with and then... I mean, I never played like any shows or anything like that. It was just like the band didn't even, the band itself, the idea of the band existed before the band actually came in, you know, to really exist. It was just an idea at first um, that we was playing around with. And then we just kind of pushed it like, oh, did you hear about integrity? 
And then people are like, yeah, I saw them on the other night, you know, and this is like kind of snowballing. And then it was like, oh, I think he was, he just got to the point where it's like, I think I'm going to make a band. And I was like, well, I don't play anything. So I'm not going to be, in, you know, where I was like, I, I don't, I think I've, you know, run my course of being in the band. So, um, no, not technically. I was never in the band. <laughs> what would you have played? Because you play bass on uh, on Nation, right? Yeah, I, I probably could have, but uh, at that point, I think I, w- I wasn't interested in playing uh, any instruments. That kind of came later, um, for sure. When I had when I actually moved to New York, had to start my own band. Then I was like, okay, I got to really play um, what I can to create music. And more importantly than that, being from Ohio, do you have any mushroom head stories? I don't. No, <laughs> not not really. Um, because I I had already kind of moved when they started to come about. I have trouble believing you, Dad. I feel like you're harboring a mushroom head story on me. No, and they were also from a different part of town, but I. Ended up knowing a few of those guys. I mean, I knew some of the members, of course, from older bands that they played in, um, but I wasn't that close with them then at the time. And I just like moved. And so, yeah, that was like out of my time period. All right, I'll believe it then. I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Um, Apocalyptica is on the outro instrumental. They, of course, got famous for covering Metallica on cellos Mm -hmm. and then they covered Sepultura on cellos and then they are on a Sepultura album so did you guys just hear about their covers or how did they get on the album? Yeah we heard about them and we loved what they were doing and it just seemed like it would fit perfectly they would know what to do in order to create an anthem for Sepultura you know and they and they we just gave them the idea we didn't tell them anything about what to play or anything. I, I believe Andres gave them acoustic guitar track of the very beginning. Um, and they just went from there and they, they just killed it. It came back and I just, it was like, wow, this is like a Conan movie. You know, it's like really over the top. I, I loved every, it was exactly what we were thinking. But we, the best part about it was that they could do whatever they wanted to do with it. You know, we really believed in what they were doing. And that was the whole reason why we asked them, so they could put their magic there. And it it came out like one of the best songs on the album. Yeah, it's incredible. It sounds like like the soundtrack to a war scene in a movie, like Braveheart or something. (laughs) Totally. I mean, they really, really captured what we're going after. Like, it's a nation, you know, that we're building. It's got to be, you know, like really triumphant. It's got to tell a story. You know, it's got to be really, you know, have that impact. Well, my favorite song on the album, and it's not even close. I'm curious. Is <laughs> Who Must Die? Oh, yeah. Wow. That one, to... <laughs> brutal. Just got that cool brutal. bounce to it. It has that uh, almost like almost like a upstate New York hardcore kind of thing, like Earth Crisis or, or whatnot. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's so sick. You guys need to bring that one back. That's the first one That's that needs it. to get drafted back into the set list. I'm going to write that's a good one. You know, actually, that would be fun to, to go over. Yeah, man. And Earth Crisis, I, that was one of the first tours that we went, that we went on in the U.S. It was them and VOD. All three meat, meat bands, Roadrunner bands. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
Um, yeah, because Earth Crisis had just put out Breed the Killers on Roadrunner. VOD was touring mm-hmm. off an of imprint, and then you guys. And uh, yeah, that's right. That's one of the first tours I saw, and that was uh, that was crazy. And yeah, we, that was crazy. We can just do that tour again. You know, they're doing the California Takeover <laughs> thing again. I know. Just... They were so great, man. They're such great guys. I, I mean, it was such an incredible time. You know, I love the mix of the bands. Like we're just. I don't know, it just felt really cool to have like such a diversity of people, you know. Is there a favorite song that you have on Nation that you feel like uh, you don't get to revisit enough? Yeah, I love uh, Border Wars. Border Wars is absolutely that's yeah. actually the song when I think of this album I think of Border Wars because that's like nice. the hit to me I don't know if there was like an official single <laughs> release for this is there anything you would have done differently on Nation when you think back on it you know because you have that hindsight of course of not having mm-hmm. the rush and the stress of what that situation must have been like at the time and the anxiety of the label anything that you mm-hmm. would have uh, switched up I don't know. I don't think so. There's nothing I could think of. I mean, I want to say that I would give more a piece of my mind to the label, but it wouldn't have done anything. But (laughs) (laughs) I was very, very sweet. You know, I was really just reserved. I didn't want to rock the boat. But at the same time, I was just ready to, to, to leave. You know, I just wanted to be a part of something that everybody was on board. And we were still in that searching for that management wise and label wise in so many ways we're still trying to piece it all together but at the same time you know having fun with you know creating uh the music for for nation so then what is your favorite moment of creating nation just all those different experimentations you got to try the freedom of trying something new absolutely and also having you know being able to stand on stage at rock and reel was like a monumental you know the album had just been released and just super exciting and um being part of that historical event that's so important to so many brazilians it's uh incredible feeling you know i never imagined being there or being in that position but um it was overwhelming but it was you know i i just can't forget that shows are just uh, super important to people there and and they're expensive so people save up a lot of money to go to a show and it means a lot more well, that makes sense because it's a, a rare, more rarity for them than uh, yeah. just every weekend they can go to whatever. Right. <laughs> and when it does happen, it's like an event. Like, you remember when we were <laughs> at that show and we were all together? You know, it's like I totally know that feeling. You know, when it, I didn't, I was young and it, oh my God, that show was, you know, you get together with people that enjoy the same, you know, music and just becomes an event, you know. Is there something that sets Nation apart from other albums in the in the canon of Sepultura? Um, yeah, I think every aspect of it. I mean, like you were saying, we we're talking about the producer, um, the artwork, um, the collaborations that happened, uh, the time period that it was happening. Um, just all those different elements make it so radically different from against. And then to the next album, which was Roarback, I want to say. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was everything was uh, all those different elements that we talked about. I agree. I agree. And Nation uh, mm-hmm. definitely 
sets apart for me just because that was the time period too. I'm in 2001. I'm like just becoming a teenager. I can afford to go to concerts on my own, <laughs> buy my own CDs right. with my lawn mowing money. So I remember going and buying this and being really excited about it. And then, like you said, when Roarback came out, I think Bullet the Blues, the U2 cover was like the single. Right, right. And, um, I remember thinking like, whoa, they, that's, this is crazy. <laughs> it was crazy because, you know, in a crazy way, it was actually the song that Brazilians attached to more so than any other thing. You know, it won like an award, like MTV Awards in Brazil for editing and almost the best song of like rock or whatever song of the year and they were playing consistently on mtv so it was shockingly it was like and then we did a video for it and it was an idea that i came up with for the video and worked with the director and uh it just super successful in brazil and then the rest of the world like really they're doing a youtube cover that's totally insane but we love doing covers of bands that um really have like an impact on us that most people wouldn't imagine. And it, it's fun to do covers of bands that aren't your genre of music, you know, oh, yeah. for me, I, you know, it just makes it more interesting. You know, the funny thing about you two for me personally is um, I don't like them, but I love when <laughs> I love covers of them. So they're obviously good songwriters. Right. I think I just don't like them personally. It's okay. I know a lot of <laughs> Irish people that are just like, I don't get it. And I'm like, how could you not get it? You're Irish. Have you seen that show on Netflix? It's called Never Have I Ever? No. Okay. Well, there's a scene where Beautiful Day by U2 is playing, and they're scattering this girl's father's ashes in the ocean. And I remember crying during it, and I was like, this is the only time I've ever cried during a U2 song for a reason other than U2 is playing. (laughs) Oh, man. I know a lot of people that have cried to YouTube songs, including myself. Not because they're playing, but <laughs> the emotion they're they're bringing out. I mean, especially in Brazil, they're like beloved. You know, they'll play it on like national TV if there's a concert. You know, it's it's unbelievable. But I mean, I was a big fan from junior high school on. Are you a wrestling fan? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> but you wrestled in high school. Yeah, but it's a little different. No, I think it's the same. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was around when all that stuff was pretty big with friends of mine, but uh, and friends of mine, older brothers, they loved some of the weird things, but it just, I just never got into it. I did a little bit. I mean, as far as like that whole like Hulk Hogan, but it was fun, you know, it was funny more than anything. Umakura on the album. Yes. Another really good song that does a lot of the uh, kind of rhythmic vocals that Absolutely. you go. Absolutely. And yes. I think that that's a very relevant song to our times, right? Absolutely. I mean, especially now, we need that cure. But, you know, again, we're learning slowly. <laughs> I say slowly, it's just like I just wish it was a little bit faster. I think if we focused on things that were really important, things would move a little bit faster as far as uh, creating solutions for many important problems that are out there that involve the entire world, like hunger and, you know, shelter, education and health. You know, if we like focused on, you know, these things and, and especially love and empathy, you know, at the top, 
I think it's that focus and energy that people have for so many different things that are out there that are, you know, I, I think when you focus, then, you know, a lot can change faster. You know, we learn the hard way. Mad respect to Derek Green for all the knowledge and wisdom. And do not forget... Nation is a part of the newly released box set Seppel Nation, featuring all of the studio albums from 98 to 2009, which you can get on beautiful compact disc and even more beautiful vinyl disc. Speaking of beautiful, you hanging out and listening to the show is a beautiful thing. Feel free to share this with your union and nation however you can. Leave a five-star review on Apple. It's free! Join the Patreon for bonus episodes. It's almost free patreon.com slash meatmeatpod buy the limited edition t-shirt it costs money meatmeat.bigcartel.com but whatever you do let's make sure we do it together cause I'm Ryan Rainbow this is Meat Meep and yes that's the best that I can come up with bye <laughs>